Hey, it's Michael Greco here, and you're listening to the Angry Millennial. Aren't they just all too happy to be angry? Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers. All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at clickgearclothingltd. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we have Branding Jedi, head of DBD International, and all-around great guy, David Breyer. David, thanks for coming out today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. So, uh, I know you had mentioned you actually were just doing another interview earlier today. So, how did that one go? I think the lives were changed. <laughs> That's kind of the point, right? Every time, every I, time you get there, you know. I, absolutely. If 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 I've at least you know hit you know hit a few people, you know, kind of like right square between the eyes, where they've gone all of a sudden, hmm, you know, I could actually raise my game a little bit. I yeah. could actually, I could actually, you know, be a little more dangerous in the world in terms of uh, the, there's good dangerous and there's bad dangerous. This mm-hmm. is the good dangerous. Where mm-hmm. I can be a little more. I can be a little more threatening to my environment and not be so predictably blasé right. in that happy land of mediocre sort of averageness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is everywhere. It's called vanilla for a reason. It's, yes. it's everywhere. So exactly. was it, was it a, uh, like a branding show or a entrepreneur business show kind of thing? Entrepreneurs. It was cool. for, basically listeners or entrepreneurs around the world. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. So David, let's jump right into it. Um, I know we've, we've spoken on the phone previously and I got the kind of short version, but let's get into the long one. How did it all start for you? Uh, when did you find your, your calling as it were? Okay. Well, um, for those that aren't familiar with me, that don't know my history, I was born in Brooklyn at a very young age. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure your listeners are really catching that. That was <laughs> born in Brooklyn at a very young age. When, they, right. when the Dodgers were still there. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and um, having gone to having gone to uh, through school, I always was involved in the arts. Mm-hmm. I always was involved in drawing. I and and really anything with the arts and I was doing very large scale, uh, oil paintings and such. Oh, very I, cool. I was in my teens. And so I always was really, in, very much enjoying that, but it was actually in my last semester of college that I went to one of my art classes mm-hmm. and sitting on the desk, one of the desks was a publication. It's no longer in existence, mm-hmm. but, um, it was called upper and lower case. 
And that refers to type in terms of upper right. and lowercase. Mm-hmm. And it was designed by a, a design guru who I, I didn't know there were design gurus. I didn't know, you know really much about design other than the fact that I saw some publications I thought were cool. Mm-hmm. They were not cool. Yeah. And so his name uh, was Herb Ballin. He influenced definitely a couple of generations of designers. And uh, very influential. And I saw things done with design and letters that I had never, ever seen before. Mm -hmm. I saw nuances and that someone didn't just plunk down Helvetica or Times Roman or whatever, but they they were actually fonts chosen and worked on the page. There was like, it's kind of like, when one is composing music, one unless one's doing a solo, an improvisational solo, nothing is left sort of like, hey, you know what? Just uh, fill that blank space with a note. You know, it's not, it's not <laughs> right. the way it's done, right? And right. so in this way, there was that deliberate deliberate craftsman, craftsmanship mm-hmm. applied like I'd never seen it before. And literally, that was the moment that I said, hmm, I don't know. I said, I'm going to shift it. Instead, I was leaning toward being an illustrator. And now I just said, that's it. I, this is incredible. I've never experienced mm-hmm. anything like this before. Right. I mean, in, in a way, it's almost like uh, a lot of, say, photographers or I mean, let's just say any, any creative art where you start to have that shift where suddenly it becomes less about you as an individual, but, but what you can do that's a little bit bigger than yourself. And, and for some people, it, it can literally just be going from, I'm going to be the illustrator to more of the art director or whatever, or, you know, for some people like, um, it's just like the Chase Jarvis's of the world, right? Or people like that. You go, I'm going to go from a photographer to a big scale educator and help as many people as you can. But again, what, what it comes down to is just saying, okay, I'm merely going to be more than just one little part, you know, one little piece of the puzzle. That's correct. And, and like that, you said, that was the decision. Yeah. That was the actual decision. It was like, you know, I could, I could hand off something that I've labored over and, and, and sweated over to make absolutely stunning, but then I can have, uh, an art director or an art director work with an editor mm-hmm. or, or an editorial team and they can make really crappy decisions and yeah. just, and suck the life out of the whole thing. And then all of a sudden you go, what, why did I even bother? Yeah, no, it, it's, you bring up something that, so, so another similar one, I think more people will, will understand is like actors. Right? Mm-hmm. What does every actor do after a certain amount of years? They produce, they direct, they they take their hand at every other aspect of making a movie. Most likely, probably because of that, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, we recently we we spoke with Tab Murphy, who is uh, you know Oscar nominated uh, screenwriter, and and I and I joked around with him and I said, "What's it like being so like kind of removed from the process where you can toil over something that you think is amazing and then you sell it." And then sometimes that's the end of your part involvement. And then it can be, who knows, a year, two years before suddenly you're all excited. You go out, you see the movie, you might even go to the premiere and then you see it and you're like, what the fuck is this? This is not mm-hmm. anything of what I envisioned. Yeah. And, and he ended up taking a crack at directing himself and, and in the early nineties directed, you know, a movie very much that was influenced by, his, his upbringing in the Pacific Northwest, you know, being very outdoorsy and, and you know, horseback riding and, and camping and all that kind of stuff. And it, yeah, I mean, I sat there and said, that would piss me off too, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, as writers, they're, I don't want to say they're down the totem pole, but in terms of direct 
uh, direct kind of say in how your message is going to be delivered, it's tough. Because yeah. again, when you're part of a movie, you're part of a very, very, very large machine and you're just a cog, you know, in, in every sense of the word on every level um, where decisions can be made and change things that, like you said, can, can directly affect how impactful it is. And that's got to be tough. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I've heard you do this and I'm going to, I've heard you do it in four, four words, which is really impressive. I'm going to have you do it in 30 seconds or less. So we want full maximum impact. For people who in don't. thirty seconds or less, <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is this this is like this is kind of like somewhere between uh, between you know one of these uh, like Survivor and The Apprentice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in thirty seconds or less, explain branding to us. Okay. The bottom line is is that we live in a world where there's an incredible amount of noise, mm-hmm. and so the thing is is that one if one does the wrong things, one will actually add to the noise, versus one actually uh, standing apart and getting noticed. If one uses the same language, the same channels, all of the same, 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 one is adding to the noise. So as a result, what branding comes down to is what it has to actually be the factor of differentiation. So that if one fails to differentiate, one is using cliches, and if one's using cliches, one is promoting one's category, one is not producing promoting their actual brand that is what branding is the art of differentiation how'd i do <laughs> very good <laughs> I, I, I felt like there's a shot clock in the corner that you were looking at i mean that, that was nice i was going i'm going i'm going you know, his listeners are gonna have to like basically go okay let me replay that one time two times yeah, three yeah. times four times yeah. Okay, great. And they're going to say, thank, thank, thanks, Jose. Thanks so much for actually making them speed up. So I, I had to listen to that five times. That was really efficient. Yeah, that's what you got to do. You got to do. You got to keep them thinking, you know. Yeah, you got, yeah. Pause that. Rewind that. Like one of those good good tapes, you know, you had or or some of the best, you know, rappers that come out of Brooklyn, right? You're like, I'm going to listen to it three, four times where I make sense of it. Exactly. So speaking of rising above the noise, literally, that's the site, the name of your site. And it's That's so right. apropos, it's it's palpable, right? But what I'm more interested in is in the years that you were stuck in the noise, you know, what was that like? What was, the, you know, the years where, you know, I know for a lot of us, you know, you've heard about the creative gap, right? That everyone struggles with. Well, I can imagine being in a space where you are, where it's a very client-facing kind of client services business where you sit there and say, how long do I have to be toiling before people will suddenly believe in what I have to say, trust in my process, trust in my uh, capable hands in terms of what they're doing wrong and how I can help them? Because, I mean, that in itself is a difficult conversation to have. I mean, and unless someone's coming to you, which in the beginning is tough, how do you go to people and say, you're doing it okay, but you, I can help you do it better? And, and so tell me about what kind of those, those first few years starting out were like. Well, it's interesting because I would say if I were looking back at it, um, you know, one is you, you put your portfolio together and, mm-hmm. and, oh, and, and for your listeners, they have to understand I've been doing this long enough so that there wasn't the internet when I started this. Okay. It wasn't like, Hey, let me send you this link and check out my work. Okay. Right. All right. So was, we had to do, do unthinkable things such as actually carry portfolios around and present them to people. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but what happened was I've kind of seen different phases. So one was, um, mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning, 
it's you know I I went to school of visual arts and so you know, I I'd go to the placement center and I'd look at you know listings and stuff like oh that looks like one that looks like one and I would just you know call up and introduce and set up a meeting and this and that the other and there was that there was that part of my beginning beginning career and then there was also doing freelance gigs with Revlon and Estee Lauder and um and some agencies and some of the top design firms sort of as a logo specialist and designer. That was kind of like my starting. Um, and that and that sort of organically grew. Um, it, it started to evolve where I saw that there were more needs that my clients had. So instead of just going, okay, I'll design you a logo, it'll be like, I'll design, well, you need a brochure or you need a poster or you need a blah. And, and so it started to expand or packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as it started to evolve, there was the element of the internet element. And then I was like, okay, that was probably a good, mm, I'd say a good five to eight years of like, what is this thing? And how do you use this thing? And how do you, how does, how do things look good on this thing? And this is just, and this is just a passing phase and we'll, and like CDs, which we're going to completely change and replace forever vinyl records, you know, now they're replaced by digital things, non-physical distribution. And so, you know, was it going to be that kind of mm-hmm. transient part of the world? But then I saw that it was, since it was sticking around, um, I started to engage it more and I've always enjoyed really well-written pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also knew that I had the added benefit of being able to show and tell a story for my pieces. Mm -hmm. So I started to really develop it. So that's been an interesting change because now I've, I have about 50 articles on fast company magazine. Mm -hmm. I have, I don't know, probably 90 articles on medium.com. I have about 185 articles on my own blog post at risingabovethenoise.com. Um, but what's been interesting is that I now, and if you do it right, and this is, this is where the art and the science of it all comes together, I never make it a self-congratulatory piece. Mm-hmm. I might be enthusiastic, but I will be, what's, what are the lessons that I learned, that I observed happened here, mm-hmm. and I'll turn it into something that'll be useful to the reader. Right. Um, so it's not like, Hey, isn't my work great? Look, da, 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 da. It's, I'm not parading around. So that's, right. that's, that's an instant turnoff. That's right. Total. And I think that's something that we, we were, we were seeing for a lot of years, right? It was like your blog because maybe social media didn't come around till later was the way of promoting yourself. And it was literally the soapbox. Look at me, look at me, look at me blinking fucking signs. Right. And then, like you said, quickly, that just became annoying and it became spam, just like everything else. That's right. And and what I think is interesting, and I want to hear your take on it, is two, I think two things that seem like they're opposite ends of the spectrum are happening right now recently. And it's you have the the laid backness, right, of uh, everything streaming, of everything being real time. Because people are tired of really polished, you know, kind of PR friendly type stuff. And they want to get to know like, you know, the real person or the not so raw, gritty, not not so glamorous person. And at the same time, you have in terms of, you know, SEO and everything else, a lot more long form content, you know, coming up where 
it's people also, you know, want more actual substance, you know, whether, Mm -hmm. and like you said, whether it's, um, and I think because of that, because of the streaming and because of long form, and I can attest this myself, I've noticed that a lot of my blog posts go from, uh, you know, oh, here's some pictures of a great shoot I did. Here's what, you know, were some of the things that we tackled to get this piece and, and what went behind, what went into the photos. Now suddenly it's, here's how I fucked up. Here's what I did wrong. Here's how I learned. You know, you're a lot more vulnerable, a lot more open uh, and transparent. And I, I think people are really starting to resonate with that. And and I mean, I want to know what you think, because like you said, you, you have tons of articles everywhere on the internet. And it, it's finally starting, I think, for a lot of us to, to suddenly go, oh, I, I can rant and people like it? Oh, that's awesome. Now, obviously, it should have coherent thought and, and, and some sort of pacing and all that kind of stuff. But right. before... Forget it. I mean, you ever seen uh, TL semicolon DR? You ever seen that? So it's kind of no. like, it's kind of like geek speak here, where it it basically means too long, don't read. And, <laughs> and, it, and it's basically like when right. people and that because again, that was when people before started embracing long form content. You know, they were the ones that would make like a fifteen paragraph thing on a status on Facebook, and you're going, "Whoa, I got to really invest like a good fifteen minutes of my time." Not reading an article, not holding a magazine, but looking at some on the same site where I watch what people like, you know, eat for breakfast, you know. So it's kind of like that was a, a bit of a shock in the beginning. Um, but what what are your thoughts on, on that shift? You know, I mean, have you noticed it? Have you just kind of always been in yeah. that you know space, and then finally you're just starting to see things kind of come around? Well, um, I would say there's definitely. As you've had certain platforms like Medium.com, which Mm -hmm. really is about a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's really about an open dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, And some people really push the envelope and just and have it really be, here here are all my, I know these are usually my inner thoughts, but now my inner thoughts are making it to the written word. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're horrible to me. As long, if if they're self aware, they can be useful. Mm-hmm. If they're if they're just a matter of like, hey, I want some place just to rant because I'm experiencing, you know, road rage while at my computer. You know, it's like, well, that's a different road story. Rage. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> you know, so you know, it's it's kind of like, what's the what's the purpose? Because mm-hmm. let's look at it. The 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 great the greatest inventions in the world, the greatest forms of art in the world are so much built about rebelling against some status quo Mm -hmm. against, you know what? It's like, why someone dared to say, ask why is, why do, do, do women always have to look like this? Or why do buildings always have to look like that? Like Frank Gehry with all, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. talk about rebellion. I mean, I love, you know, Gary's work. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, I, I, he is in such disagreement. I mean, I, 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 we have a, one of his, one of his buildings, not too far from us, about an hour drive. And I'm, I was looking at one of the windows and I'm looking at it laughing because I could see the dialogue that would have happened because mm-hmm. he took a window that went on one plane and then maybe about just three inches of it turned the corner and the inside corner. And I'm, I could just see them going, Frank, do we really need? It's just three inches, Frank. <laughs> can't we end the? Can't we end the 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 window on the same plane of the, right. of the side of the building that we started it on? Right. I can just see the dialogue, but you know, and him for him to use metals that reflect the the world around. I mean, it's just brilliantly wonderful. But that's a great example of just disagreeing with how things are. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, and that's, and that's the element. And Steve Jobs, one of the great rebellers of all time, you know, the dialogue, you can convert the, any frustration to something where it's valuable and enhances life in some way, mm-hmm. or you could just be like, you know, frustrated little curmudgeon in the corner going, rawr, 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 and not like anything. And so, you know, it's sort of like, what's the takeaway? You right. know, what's the takeaway? And, uh, you know, my, if you look at my blog, there's a very definitive point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things that I absolutely like hate. I mean, when people say, you know, I'll, I'll say, look, you, you know, if you want to basically kill a brand, mm-hmm. um, you know, hey, just assign a committee to it. That'll be a complete suicide. This, right. I was about to say, <laughs> de- design by committee is fucking <laughs> horrible. I mean, <laughs> I like blue. I like green. Fuck it. No, nothing gets done today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and I, you know, there was a, there was a client nearby ended up not choosing us because, because I said, um, I sat in this meeting, this is an introductory meeting. We're vetting out, will, will we be the right fit? Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there. I thought it was just me and this person. And then I walk in and I find, oh, there's, it's in a boardroom and lunch is being had in the boardroom with eight other people. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the introductory meeting. Oh, I'm going, oh, that's, I said, I didn't realize there were going to be like a whole bunch of you. Right. Like, oh yeah, no, this is how we, this is how we do it. I said, da, 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 da. So I go over stuff and, and I see that what I'm saying is resonating. I'm saying that I, I just have to be candid. I said, there's one thing that I really don't advocate. I don't, I don't advocate to, uh, committees. <laughs> and, and, there, and they're just like salad fork eight, in mouth going. Eight people. <laughs> and so, and so I said, and the reason why is because a committee is flawed by, by design. I said, a committee is based on the premise that everyone in the room has the same, uh, because they have a mouth, they have the right to <laughs> something independent uh, of their experience. Right. And, and the other part of the, the, the committee model is that we're going to re- we're going to bring something up so that we can now debate about it. When did innovation or a breakthrough or anything worthwhile come out of, of some deep committee entrenched boardroom? Yeah. Never. I don't think there's a single instance of it in the history of mankind. So as a result, yeah. and, and they said, you know, it's like, we really liked it, David, but you know, but your thing about committees, you know, like, so it was like, we're really into committees here. I said, oh, I, she goes, so we decided to go with somebody else. I said, I said, that's probably a good choice. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> and, and, and you said it, you know, going back to like self-awareness and, and knowing your brand, I think is, is a, a big part of that is knowing that, you know what, that isn't a good fit. And, and you kind of like, you say to yourself, I just dodged a bullet. And, you know, whether you needed the work or not, doesn't matter if you sat there and just saw a glaring thing at you and didn't say anything, you, you know, it doesn't matter if it was a hundred thousand dollars or $10,000, it wouldn't be worth the frustration of, of suddenly having that client that wasn't a good fit for your, for your brand. So, but again, it, it, I know for a lot of younger people, it takes a while to get there. You know, it takes a while to, to feel like you're comfortable enough with saying no. And, you know, you, you, you made a good point about going against, um, you know, the status quo in terms of, in terms of, anything right design whatever first of all if you've ever been to barcelona and you see the the sagrada familia you know by gaudi it's crazy when i learned about it i was in college and someone says he never used straight lines like what and then realizing that some 200 years later or more like they're finally finishing what he started because it was so hard to figure out but um but one thing i noticed on your site that is unlike again a lot of others goes against the grain is that there i couldn't find any dates on things and and i wondered why because i feel like like you said, like the status quo or what a lot of people do is, hey, look how long I've been making stuff. 
Look how long I've been providing value. You know, this post is four years old, yet it's one of the most evergreen things on my site. And I go, but I wanted to know, does that make everything kind of evergreen content on your site? If there's really no kind of uh, date attached to it, it had to be in- intentional. And, it is intentional. Okay. So, I, and I, I had to ask. Totally. So the reason being is because I have observed it amongst others and I've observed it among, uh, amongst myself. When mm-hmm. I am looking at, if I'm ever researching something or if I look at an article and I'm like, oh, that's five years old. I, there are times when I just like go, I'll like maybe skim through a couple paragraphs and I just click off and I'm gone. Yeah, that's true. And so all of a sudden, I, you know, because, because things are so fast moving, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, oh, well, ne- next week is another plugin and next week is another browser and next week is another app and next that changes everything and everything's turned on its head. And da-da-da. there's such a rapid shift that um, I wanted to have it be that. I mean, I, I'm very intentional with regard to the content so that I make sure that the content is not dated. That was one thing I kind of learned because some of the stuff that I did with Fast Company, it was very topical. It was like, bang. Like I, I would see, I remember uh, there was one, this is one of my most controversial posts. It had to do with Best Buy that they had spent 12 to 15 months and they finally unveiled um their their tagline after like 12 to 15 months and i practically i practically tripped when i heard their first <laughs> when i when i heard their first ad which was something like i think it was making technology work for you right that was like it mm-hmm. i was like i said are you kidding me that wouldn't be worth 12 to 15 minutes forget 12 to 15 months and so i basically was like don't make them it's like i i, I basically was it was it was a rant but it was mm-hmm. it was a thought out rant um, and I had had lots of people go, yeah, that was like, I, you gotta be kidding that you guys, <laughs> because, because that was the great unveil of whoever was the, right. new, the new VP of marketing or whatever. And it's like, that's your, that's your output. Yeah. Are you, I, please. Like no. You do realize the machines aren't under our control. Just FYI. I don't know oh, if you've yeah. ever seen Terminator. It doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so I wanted to, so, so I learned that I learned with doing all the fast company stuff that, okay, there are things that are topical that this is going to be relevant for the, for the next week to, you know, to, to three months. Um, and after that, it's window of opportunity is over. So I leaned toward, you know, I'm going to lean more toward things that are actually timelessly usable, mm-hmm. that are more, old, right. that are, that are, uh, evergreen principles. Um, and so that's the very intentional reason why I don't put dates. Nice, nice, yeah. And when I saw that, because I remember I was I was watching your your interview with uh, with Grant Cardone, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. who does this really great show, uh, Power Players, right? Yep, has his own TV channel. I mean, the way that's done is really nice. But what was interesting was I, w- I and, and you're exactly right. When I'm looking for something and I'm researching something, if I see it's 2009 and it's remotely. <laughs> Right. technological or, or or anything to do with like what's going on right now i'm going i'm not clicking on that yep. and and it may and maybe i'm doing myself a disservice maybe there is some really good stuff in there that i'm I'm judging by the cover and I'm, I'm a dick but but i remember when i was listening to that uh and this doesn't sound dumb but when i saw like you know the the picture you put up of of your your episode on his itunes right yeah i'm going this show looks great how's it only got nine reviews and then I'm like, wait, this is probably like got to be a couple years old, maybe. And then I'm looking around, going, 
I can't find a fucking date anywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, nice. I see what he did there. All right. So something we both apparently have in common is uh, is moving for a girl, right? Mm-hmm. So so tell us your story. I know you know mine. I won't bore anybody else with it, but but tell, tell us your story. Because like you said, you were born and raised in New York. And yep. now, for all intents and purposes, you, you basically went to the witness protection program and you live in... Uh, Somewhere that's, in West that's what I tell. That's what I tell people. When, yeah, because when I tell people I'm originally from New York, when out here, when I tell people that, right. they they look at me with a slight. They, they kind of get that glazed eye look, just before, like a, just like a deer when it's about to be run over. And so, um, what happens They're is like this is where I die. He's going to kill me. This is <laughs> I, well, I, well, they say, "What's a New Yorker yeah. uh, doing here?" Yeah. And I said, "Well, I said there's two answers to that question. One is is it's part of a witness program, a witness protection program, and um, and if you want to know more, I will have to kill you afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I said, or the alternate story is that it was because of true love. Right. And I said, you can pick whichever one of those you like. <laughs> it's okay with me. And so, but the backstory of that is that my wife and I, we were each before we knew each other, mm-hmm. we're each out of town uh, in Florida, and. Uh, I had walked by and there was a friend, someone I knew from Brooklyn, who was talking to this other woman, who, this other woman who would end up becoming my wife. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, Sue. And he was like, hey, David. Was like, hey, how are you? You know, we just happened to, and so, you know, I said, hey, da 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 da. And she goes, oh, do you guys know each other? And it's like, uh, no. And so there's a quick little um, hello introduction, and that was mm-hmm. fine. I then parted our ways. Um, I found out many months later that my wife knew from the first point of us uh, just shaking hands hello that she knew this was going to be the man I was going to marry. Mm. You, I, I, I've since found that that tends to be fairly common. The women are quicker to know than oh the men. Oh, my God. Are you, you, we, are, yeah. we are dumb. We are oh, dumb. No, we are and so I, dumb. <laughs> and, and what's funny is like you think about even like when you're single and you're dating, right? I, I've heard this and I, I hold heartily, you know, I don't want to take love out of the equation, but I think a woman says within within five seconds she'll know whether or not she'll sleep with you. And, and the funny thing is, they hold all the power. Let's be honest, right? You, right. you can Absolutely. all the power in Absolutely. every sense of the word. Um, you know, you get married and, and you have a home. You literally say, then say, I'm going to check with my schedule keeper and I'll check their calendar because in reality, you don't really run anything. You just <laughs> right. you just get in the car and get told where to go. Right. So it. I, I'm not surprised at all, but what's interesting is, and we're not, we won't get too into the whole sociological thing, but I think a lot of times because men are the one who have to generally ask, will you marry me? Will you spend the rest of my life with me? Uh, people think it's the other way around and it's not because how many women get proposed to? They're like, mm, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Then when, <laughs> right. yeah, when you ask a guy, how many right. women have you proposed to? It's a much different number. You know what right. I mean? Because you right. sit there and go like, I want to be really, you know, like I want to be really sure. And girls are like, please, I got proposed to 10 times this week, you know, like, and none of them are really going to work out. So I think that's pretty, pretty interesting. So you said months later. So how, how did, how did you guys kind of come back into it? Well, I, I had, I had then kind of circled back and I, I got from Sue. I said, you know, I wanted a number and and sort of just to touch base. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of being, I was being very, I was being very, very sort of, Non-committally curious. It was it was, it was fascinating. Who's your, who's your friend? What you, uh, what you, what you do? <laughs> and so, 
And so, but then actually we, we ended up getting together uh, a couple times and I, I said, Hey, let's, let's, let's get together. And we did. And anyway, after just a very short time, um, I ended up proposing and we ended up because we, she was still, she was in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and I, at the time I was actually in Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, so we're kind of doing this long distance thing, trying to figure out, well, who's going to move where, because we were like, you know, we, and we actually, we ended up getting married and actually before we only had lived together for five and a half weeks, um, before our first year anniversary. Oh, wow. So the, because we were just kind of like still determining and part of it came to her business was really reliant on local business and mine at the time that was, you know, the, between the internet and between, you know, FedEx and some of the other, it was like my clients were geographically very diverse. And so mm-hmm. it just was like, she kind of said, well, how often do you see your clients? Cause the idea of the, the, the notion of moving away from the epicenter of the universe, New York city was, uh, it was just like an odd notion. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up, when she asked me that, I said, well, maybe every, maybe, you know, every two, three months. I mean, I didn't see my clients very often. I mean, I dealt with them all, all the time. And so I, when I looked at that, I was like, you know, I can actually fly in and out for and for with, all the, with for all the money. Yeah, with save, all the money you'll save. save all this money. <laughs> and I could fly in and out for cheaper. Yeah. You know, just do that. So anyway, that's, that's how it ended up happening. Awesome. So what, what does she do that she has a local presence? Well, the, well, the time I mean, she, she had had she had had a, a printing company. Oh, cool. And so she had a, so you know so I, I tell everybody that our foundation is the foundation of our relationship is reproduction. <laughs> yeah, nice. You're like, oh my god, she can print all the things I want that I design. <laughs> it's like this is perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. So for me, it was much of the same story with me and Jessica. It was uh, she lived in Baltimore, I lived in Philly, and we met through uh, the internet, like through Facebook. We both were photographers, and then. Uh, she took more of a graphic designer role. I was working for a new company and, and we just did the long distance thing for like two years. And then, like you said, it was, it kind of got to the point where I was like, all right, let's kind of just do this already and figure out where we're going to, where we're going to move. And we came down to Maryland. Cool. So I know you are quite the chocolate whisperer. So I know you, I believe you'll, you'll appreciate this. I finally came to appreciate dark chocolate. I mean, I mean, looking at me, you could figure I'm a, I'm a chocolate fan. Really not, though. Uh, for a long time, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are still really cool. I love those. Beyond mm-hmm. that, eh, I don't really... Chocolate isn't huge. But dark chocolate, I always hated. I thought it tasted like just bitter. <laughs> it's bitter. It was a, just a joke, right? And I like coffee. But I had dark chocolate from 7-Eleven with sea salt in it. And it blew my fucking mind. Like... Like seriously, the next what day, brand. What I, brand? It was like it was like a Seven Eleven, fancy so private label, right? Okay. Private label, fancy uh, kind of a, a dark chocolate. So the next day, I bought six different kinds to understand like why I like that one, and and it, we got into like you know percentages and, and and all this kind of stuff. So my girlfriend's like, anything above like sixty, you're probably not gonna like. You know, that's probably what you've tried before. So I'm like literally going, I got like Lind, Godiva, uh, you know, some weird organic one, like all these different things. And man, they're, all, they're, they're really all kind of different. And it was so funny because we were driving to Philadelphia and and we usually have like a, our two days on Saturdays. So we have all these different kinds of stuff. 
And we're both just kind of taking a piece, trying it, you know, it's kind of like sipping wine, you know, what do we like about it? We don't. And it was so funny when it came down to it, we're looking at the 7-Eleven one going, this is really still the, the best one we've tried. And, and I can't wrap my head around it. I'm like, 7-Eleven, congratulations. But what's your take? What's your favorite take on cacao, right? Like what, what, what's your kind of feelings on, on, on that sort of thing? Well, the basic thing is you, you gotta have, you've gotta have a chocolatier that really knows how to properly temper the chocolate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there's a place that you have to promise me you'll order some chocolates from them. They're, 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 we've handled their branding and they're probably in the top, uh, three, I would say they're in the top three chocolatiers uh, in the in the United States. Wow. The, and uh, I even turned I even turned a guy. There's a place there's a, a store nearby that I was doing an errand one day. And I said, "Hey man, you know, and, and he's a young he's a younger guy and he's married and stuff like that." And I always kind of like I'm like, "Hey man, and I just I just I, sometimes I'll if I see like a someone younger, I'll I'll kind of just take them under my wing. I'll just sort of mm-hmm. adopt them and I'll say, "Okay." I said, "So the first thing is is I said I said you need to get like I think uh, I think Valentine's Day. Oh, Valentine's Day was coming up, and I said, "So, you getting are you getting your wife some good chocolate?" And uh, and he goes, "You know, I'm really not into chocolate." Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, "Then you haven't had the right chocolate." Mm-hmm. I said, <laughs> "You are too cool to not like chocolate. <laughs> that makes no sense." Right. Right. Okay. And he goes, "Well, maybe." He goes, "Maybe you know." He goes, "Well, look, you've never given me a bum steer." I said, "Well, look, here's the deal." You need to go to this place, and the place is called Legacy Chocolates. They're mm-hmm. they're they're in uh, St. Paul now, and um, St. Paul, Minnesota. But the thing is, is that the thing with Legacy is, I said you need to go there, and you can actually get you can get ninety nine percent. Jesus, uh, yeah. you can you can also get I think ninety nine eighty five and something like that, eighty five or eighty or eighty seven, and you can get lesser than that. But they know how to temper it really well mm-hmm. their their almond truffles mm-hmm. are to die for <laughs> they when they make them they actually make chipotle truffles yeah which what i've had people taste them they taste them they're expecting to be blasted with heat but it's not until you actually eat it and then it finally kind of comes down here and then you start feeling this warmth in your chest mm-hmm. so you almost don't even really taste it. it's like you just feel the heat yeah, yeah, yeah but they're but they're brilliant at that and uh and they have a himalayan caramel that's outstanding because what they do is they they don't lose sight of that. The chocolate is the star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know the flavor is the co-host is the is the co-star. You mm-hmm. know, the supporting actor. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and so, um, or or it's sometimes just the prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and so they don't lose they don't lose sight of that. And it's um, anyway, they're they're great. And so I got to really appreciate. I forget exactly when it was, but like I used to, I used to like a diva. I, I don't like a diva anymore now. Cause they actually, I can, I, when I eat it, I actually can taste the sweeteners they use are, are very low quality sweeteners and actually tastes more like chemicals. Yeah. Uh, the, but the stuff that you'll get, like you do some of the places like legacy, it's amazing. Or if you want to go, if you want to out of New York, some great ones that are just pretty divine are the original truffles from La Maison du Chocolat, uh, the house of chocolate. La Maison, La Maison du Chocolat. <laughs> oh, it is, it is magnifique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, they're, they're wonderful. They're dusted with cocoa powder, uh, but just a wonderful ganache because mm-hmm. the ganache is the filling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but there are, 
I'm ridiculous. My wife knows the, my ridiculousness. If I right. if I'm reading a food magazine uh, or or I'm reading something from New York, it's like I say, and this is the hot, amazing place in Soho or in San Francisco or here or there. Mm-hmm. I will order that and I'll have it shipped in. Yeah, nice. yeah. You know? And but it's amazing. I, I still have my few staples that are just. They're pretty astonishing. Legacy's a, Legacy's an amazing one, and uh, there's some there's some pretty good bars out there. There's mm-hmm. a there's a there's a pretty good one I just ran across. Um, uh, Vosges, you know mm-hmm. Vosges, mm-hmm. out of Chicago. They ended up having a it's a pecan. It was actually a, like a pecan sort of filling in the in the, in the bar because I was like that sounds almost. Like that could be really good. It's like an unusual. I think maybe, I think maybe pecan and pomegranate or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah. And it was pretty. It was pretty damn good. <laughs> it's pretty damn good. I gotta say. And yes. then and then of course then of course there's the, the there's there's one that I do. This is my indulgence when I'm flying in and out of Minneapolis Airport. Mm-hmm. There's one. Totally forget the name of the joint, but they make they make with fresh honey and edible gold leaf and dark chocolate. Mm. Wow! <laughs> so it just, Jesus, it's, it's like okay, you know, if this will kill me, it's a good way to go. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going out with a smile on my face. That's yeah. awesome. And and like you said, I mean, it, it's. I think um, once you once you re, you kind of open your eyes to something being viable, then you realize how deep that rabbit hole goes. You know, whether it's wine or beer or chocolate, and uh, and it's it's definitely. It's pretty fun to experiment with different kinds of stuff and all that. Totally. So recently, I came across your post about James Corden. Right? Yes, who yes. I, if you haven't listened to it, there's a really amazing episode of the the WTF or What the Fuck podcast with Mark Marin mm-hmm. that he's on, and mm-hmm. and it's if you haven't checked it out, you have to. It's awesome only because, like you said, he he for a lot of people, even comedians, when he got the gig, he got they were just like who. You know, and 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 it was you know he's very now obviously we're going to get into it really more well known, but for a long time like people just oh he's just that pudgy British guy who's kind of funny. I mean, just like every other British guy, right? And how and, did Mark how did Mark get the gig with him? Because I love James. I think he's awesome. You no, know, I mean, I think he literally because they're both comedians. He just was like he he literally was, and he said that to him. He goes, "When I heard about you getting a job, the f- collective." thing from all my comedian friends was who the fuck is that guy like, I <laughs> and he really kind of called him out and what's funny is yeah. james knows it you know like he's absolutely he, he just like he yeah totally man. Does. Like, he, yeah. Does, he, he doesn't he doesn't try and be anything that he's not that's right. the thing that i love about him because for so long for so long to me you know a lot especially a lot of the late night it was, it was very much la it was la based mm-hmm. with this sort of sensibility of like I'm willing to say or be or do anything. I have no pride. I have no integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, so what's what's really interesting, I'm going to call it the Corden case study, yep. is like you said, he he had he went into a very undesirable time slot. Yep. He had taken over a show that in reality no one really cared about. And all of a sudden, making a YouTube presence for himself and the show, they got 800 million YouTube views in just 12 months, yep. which we know is not easy but the boy had vision i mean walk us through the kind of the strong points obviously for anyone who doesn't know we're talking about you definitely have heard of uh carpool karaoke where literally you you, now you're probably knowing oh yeah that guy who just drives around everywhere with amazing 
uh, singers, right? Who, yeah. who, and then just do what we all do, right? Yeah. We yeah. all just drive around belting out to our favorite songs. Only he's able to do it, uh, you know, with, with the actual people in the car. And it's hysterical. It's great. Uh, some of the people we hit on, but tell me about it. Well, you know, I just, I mean, first, I, I kind of really you know, just enjoyed his persona because he was very, he's very self effacing. He wasn't about like, hey, let me try and show you how really amazingly cool I am. He knows he's a geek. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of like this oddball. He's, he's not in his element, but yet the things he's willing to do, and, and obviously a part of it started when, when he did, you, you saw that David Beckham mock uh, advertisement that he did. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, because he is so phys- physically, I mean, his belly is, uh, it's a nightmare, right? right. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, but he just, he's like, you know what? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. here it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to poke fun at this as well as everything else in the world. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and to get David Beckham to agree to it, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was oh just, and to get it photographed the right way. So it had that Calvin Klein, Klein kind mm-hmm. of vibe of, of, of black and white photography. So, you know, he, it showed a, a definite daring on his part. Mm-hmm. And, and if he was going to go out in flames, he was going to do it big. Oh yeah. He was oh, going to yeah, do it yeah. big he and he was going to do it yeah. well. And so that was, and that to me is one of the great signs of, of a great brand or a great entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. It, you know, that sort of willingness to say, you know what, we're all in, we're not going halfway. Right, right, right. And, and so, and then I, I think I, I saw one of the early carpool karaoke's and I was like, oh my God, that looks like so much fun. And part of it is the fact that James is really having fun. Yeah. He is as much a fan but he also is, but he also, he, just the way he asks questions, he goes, no, no, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. I've always wanted to know, is that really your hair? You know, he'll <laughs> ask questions. He'll ask little trivial questions like that, right, you know, right, or right. it's like, or it's like, or, you know, when you did that dance move on that thing, like that looked like you would have had to be in training for like 12 weeks. Right. What, what did you do? Right. He'll ask little, the little questions that all of us have wondered about but never had a chance to. Right, 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 right. It's, it's kind of like everyone lets their hair down in the show mm-hmm. and he happens to be able to sing particularly damn well. Yeah. He doesn't have an idea that he's a great singer. He's actually pre- a very humble kind of guy. Yeah. But he's just joyously and like, hey, you know, I'm like a pig and shit. I yeah. love this. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. awesome. Oh, the best was the Adele one. That one got like, I don't even know, 75 million views so far, but it was what? so funny. When you caught it, when he hit like the harmony... And you see her, she's very she's expressive, like, very emotional, going, she's no, like, bro, relax. <laughs> relax. I know. I know. Yeah. No, it I, was hysterical. It was great. But, so, I, yeah. but, it was, but it also, but what it also showed because it showed his uh, tenacity, you mm-hmm. know, I, mm-hmm. I, that was why I was curious, intrigued about it because of the fact that how many people said no up prior to oh, him yeah. telling Mariah Carey? That was right. That was what I thought was really cool was like and, you said, the, the, the tenacity and sticking to the vision. I mean, you, you can appreciate this when you're in a business where you have to have some sort of, uh, you know, appeasement to what you do. Right. Especially if you run a show, it's fucking ratings, you know, like I hate to break oh, yeah. it. It's ratings. So, you know, to say, Hey, we're 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 really hitting our heads against the wall here. It's very quickly for someone to say, "Listen, just do something that is like you know you're pandering to the masses. Just appeal to the lowest common denominator, make your life easier. Just you know, can it and do something else." And he was just like, "No, no, no, no. This this has legs." And 
we're gonna fucking find someone. And of course, Mariah Carey. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she's got chops and and she's pretty out there. So it must it must have been great for the first one to be her. You know, yeah. a very a very storied um, type person. And so you know, yeah. I mean, to me that 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 like you said, that was something that, and I'm I'm so glad that that was something that was very much spoken about because, like we know, that's not necessarily the case. Yep. You know, um, a lot of people joke the overnight successes that took ten years in the making and all that, but it's true because you know what? As much as we love, uh, you know, underdog stories as a country, um, you know, Rocky, every single movie you can think of, Little Giants, all this kind of stuff. It's you know we're it's kind of a, I don't want to say a joke because it's only fun if you know that eventually it's going to work out, right? Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. think about it, how many movies that have an underdog story and then they lose? Oh wow, that's different. No, it's called every fucking day. Mm-hmm. It's called every day. People that happens, you know. But so it, it, it's interesting because that's something that I've been kind of hope, hope having or trying to kind of get more people to talk about is is the underlying things, you know, the the mental health problems and, and struggles and all that kind of stuff to let people know that everyone feels that way. I don't, I don't care who you are. You know, we had um one of our biggest guests was a, a guy named Chase Jarvis, you know, who who started creative, you know, co-founding creativelive.com, all this stuff. And he, you know, he's, he's sat with, he's even got something going on right now um, called 30 Days of Genius where he talks with all the, all the heavy hitters and everything you think of, you know. And and when I was talking with him, I asked him that. When was the last time you got really fucking scared about what you were doing? He goes, last night at 2 a.m.? You know, like it happens every day. Yeah. And he spoke to, I, th- I can't remember if it was the CEO of Amazon or someone else, but he, he remember he sat with him and asked him a similar question. And he said, you don't realize it. The fear never goes away, ever. You just pointed at different shit. You know, first it's like mm-hmm. make a living for my family, sustain something, make our company make sense then it becomes okay you've made this money don't fuck up right mm-hmm. like don't don't ruin it overnight which can happen you know sure absolutely and, and it's something that people i guess think at a certain point you just get so comfortable that you you don't do that anymore and it's it's not fair um so so speaking of that you know i know you you've you kind of brought up medium uh i don't want to get too too much into it but but I mean, there's, let's be honest, there's been a lot of blogging type platforms over the years. Yeah. Um, do you think this one has like longevity for the long haul uh, as making it different per se? Uh, I think one of the great things I like about it is the import story feature, you know, only because it makes it, it, it makes sense and realizes you write a lot of shit other places on the internet yeah. and, and you can quickly kind of just say, okay, here's where I write a lot of my stuff. Check it out there. Instead of most people, where they just take it, copy and paste it, you know, and put all their own stuff. Um, and I know for a long time, for me, that was a big thing. Was like, oh, I have my own blog. Why would I want to write on a platform that maybe isn't going to be around in you know six months, a year, whatever? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, I think I think Medium. I mean, first of all, I, I forget. Where, I think the guys came from. Uh, I think they're Twitter alumni, I believe, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, but they they really had a good sense of what was needed out there. Their their editor was their editor is awesome. You know, it's it's easy peasy, and they have a, they have a simple aesthetic, and so that worked out great. Obviously, LinkedIn completely copied it, um, and that was something that. It was very interesting to see. I don't know if you noticed that, that it, probably after about a year or so uh, with Medium or maybe a little longer, that LinkedIn completely changed because LinkedIn had the most horrendous uh, editor. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, in existence. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's absolutely totally based on Medium. Um, you know, Medium. It seems that there's an it's building a community. Um, you know, I was, you know, they went through a logo change from their sort of very bold M to the new one. I was very critical of it. I still am. I, th I think it's a horrible new identity. I don't like it at all. Mm. Um, but, you know, it seems to have a community. And what I'm noticing, though, is there are more and more people kind of being, there seem to be like two primary schools. Mm -hmm. There are ones who are sort of, like into either growth hacking or startups or 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 successful uh, you know disruption or and then the other is is like rant mm -hmm. yeah, i mean yeah. it's got you have like say the two and and i i think if it just goes if it, if it sways too heavy in the rant area it'll be like okay the, the, it's going to be forfeiting quality for just mm -hmm. noise right yeah, yeah, um, yeah and so i think i think i don't know how they're you know the whole foundation of their brand is it's an open dialogue right now if you all of a sudden people start basically going if you leave it up to the people there's a good chance that it just eats itself alive it's like the snake eating its own snake eating mm -hmm. its own tail mm -hmm. where everyone's basically being oh that person bitched about that restaurant i'm gonna bitch about you know my last girlfriend or i'm gonna bitch about you know, that crappy waitress i'm gonna bitch about the presidential election i'm gonna bitch about you know it's like well, great. So now you're now all of a so medium has the potential liability of its brand becoming what people are talking about, which means they have zero control. Yeah. So now if they have zero control. I don't know. No, I know. Believe me, it's you know? like it's like it's like handing a monkey a gun. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you sit there and go, yeah. like you said. It's it's very open, and then but then you when you open you obviously like you said you have the the the, the possibility of suddenly it, it, the you know the 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 you know people kind of taking over and steering the ship, and then and then after right retroactively to say hey you know what let's put some guidelines in here then people freak out you know so it's yeah. kind of like you, you, it's a it's very kind of, delicate situation. It's kind of like giving. It's kind of like giving uh, Kim Kardashian a camera or a video, a video camera, or just or just a, a, a phone to shoot. Uh, it it just it's really questionable what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> By the way, I loved Bette Midler ripping into her. Uh, it's so funny how 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 crazy she is on Twitter for being a woman of her age, right? Too as well is yeah. where like she made a comment where the the nude selfie that went crazy about Kim Kardashian and Bette Midler said if. If Kim Kardashian aims to show us something we haven't seen before, she'd have to swallow the fucking camera. <laughs> I died. I was like, damn, Beach is going hard. But she, she Oh, no, she I love that. That, that is it, awesome. She keeps it real. Oh, she's so, great. Uh, something I want to ask you about, and it kind of alludes a little bit to medium, that kind of stuff, is are there, are there personal projects you've been working on? You know, what are your thoughts on personal projects as a whole? Uh, and, and are there even any in your industry or is it just at, at a certain point, it's just considered, Oh, pro bono work you take on or something like that. Um, well, I mean, as far as, as far as personal projects, I mean, one is, is that I, I do, I'm always interested in, in helping, uh, helping entrepreneurs, you know? And so, so sometimes I'll do, I'll do some pro bono, uh, speech gigs and stuff like that mm -hmm. just to, just to help. Um, that's one thing in terms of, in terms of 
it's kind of like a running joke around the house that whenever I'm talking on the phone, I'm always doodling. And so if, if there's a napkin or a piece of paper, by the time that I'm done, if it, it, it depends on how much time. If it's a 15-minute conversation, if it's a 30-minute conversation, basically there's a whole little Spencerian script thing and the whole gorgeous, you know, and, I'm, and that's, that's, that's kind of like, like either I'm pacing physically or my hand is pacing if, through the form of actually doodling. And so like it, and so she looks at it like, oh my God. You know, because they are little masterpieces, mm-hmm. um, and so I enjoy very much incorporating the element of creativity really into anything. So I, if for me, if there's a real blur in between work that I personal work and professional work, it's like I feel that my talents, if I'm not if I'm not using my talents in my in my project. Um, I'm cutting short what I can actually bring to the table to help mm-hmm. my help my clients. Mm-hmm. Not as a not as a form of personal expression, but I know mm-hmm. like I mean, well you've you've seen you've seen the what is branding video, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So in that that was a very personal statement that especially the idea, the whole concept of take going from the universe of of people to the universe of written and visual communications. That's very it's very real to me personally. Mm-hmm. And so as a result um, I'm always looking at the different sides, the different, the other side of the table. It's like, okay, here's a client. They need to communicate to this audience. And to me, that's like a, almost a different canvas. So that defined hard line between personal projects and, and what I do every day, um, is kind of a, a very very blurred line mm-hmm. at best. Mm-hmm. Um, though I love I love writing and I love doing videos and I love doing, uh, you know. And when I'm talking with anybody, I mean, some of my friends, it's that that's my form of entertainment. And we'll just sit down and we'll like riff for like you know 25 minutes, and that was my entertainment. I'm like that was awesome, and then I get back back at it, you know. Right. So that so there it's so like okay, that's a that's an example of a very fleeting form of public work, and that is gone. <laughs> So tell me, speaking of, uh, you know, your work and stuff like that, what's, what's the, um, the biggest thing you've got in the pipeline that you can talk about? Uh, let's see. Let's see. As far as, uh, for, well, there's a few different things. One is, is that there's a book that I'm writing, which is going to be called, uh, uh, brand intervention. Mm-hmm. And uh, Damon John has written the the forward to that already. Oh, very cool! So that's very cool. Um, that's exciting. And um, and there's a, a couple of other. This is, this is oh, there's always quite a few things that are kind of in the in the pipelines, sort of semi secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of like, course, because yeah, I get it. We we work with brands. It's it's very yeah. Inside all kinds of non disclosure stuff that you just you just sort of sit on it. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a, there's a project that's going to be um, that will be uh, as much as I can say is that it'll be a, a Hollywood disruptor. Nice, and that'll that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be yeah. a, a good long project. Um, there's also, I mean, this this is just a, a, a fun kind of project because it's an interesting challenge. There's a company, a client of ours, out in um, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And they have they have really like kind of gourmet caliber kosher cuisine, mm-hmm. and I've done quite a bit of branding in the, in the food space, and but yet this is interesting because 
if I were to say to you Italian cuisine, you'd have an idea of like what that meant. Okay, that's you know, it's either lasagna or it's pasta or it's whatever. Chicken, um, like plant, yeah, exactly. And so you know, it could be cured meats or mm-hmm. what. So that so, or if I said Asian cuisine, you'd have an idea. If I said Thai cuisine, you'd have an idea. Or Chinese, um, or if I even said New York deli, you'd have mm-hmm. an idea. Mm-hmm. But kosher is an interesting thing because they actually make a, a very good line of products. But yet, kosher, if I say to you kosher, it doesn't conjure up. It's not an actual, it's actually an unbranded thing. It's, it's a tradition. It's a category, but actually is, it's an actually an unbranded thing. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually taking this category. I'm actually having to create a new category mm. uh, in the food category of like this really, you know, sort of artisanal, uh, delicious food that just happens to be kosher yeah, yeah and yeah. and it's it's i'm having a ball man it's That's it's awesome act, it's really fun i'm loving it it's act it's a lot of fun um and it, what's also interesting is that there's a there's a a, a client first client uh in munich germany mm-hmm. some of the nicest people i've ever had to deal with they're, they're definitely in my top three four clients i've ever dealt with and they're just great and so that's been an interesting thing because i've had to kind of work through coming up with a name for a company but we're actually using English, the English language okay. even though but these are these are English words that the Germans do understand right yeah yeah and but yet the slogan is is in German and and so we had to like nuance the the meanings and mm-hmm. and such like that but I had to create something that was it's a very different kind of brand it's really it's very beautiful it's very different but um you know that that's always an interesting thing because when I'm dealing with uh different cultures like do between that and a month ago, I went to and I spoke in Taiwan. I'm always whenever I'm talking publicly, I have to. I'm watching. Uh, I will drop a little bomb, a little social commentary bomb, and I'll see. Do they get it? Do they understand? Right. The, do they understand the cultural reference? Right. And, they're, and oh, and they're they're laughing at the right places. Oh, okay, they got it. Cool. <laughs> All right, good. So I so I like test the waters of little right. things, and it's always interesting to see because there are times like I could like uh, last night I spoke to I, I was I had a, a Skype call some part of Mexico and. I made a couple of references and I was waiting for the laughter and no laughter was coming. I'm like, I'm just going to keep her smiling. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. They have no idea what I'm talking about. This yeah. is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you can appreciate this. Like I remember I, I did advertising undergrad and I remember hearing about all those blunders, right? Hearing about the things that in terms of branding and advertising that did not, did not translate well. Like uh, remember the got milk campaign. Uh, there was one in, I think it was, uh, Latin America where literally the billboard was saying, uh, asking if people were lactating and they go, that's (laughs) not it. And then there was the Huggies, I think it was Huggies with the stork and, and we all remember the stork growing up. Well, they started running that ad in like Japan and realized that they have no idea. Like the culturally, it's a very U S uh, type thing. And they're like, what is this freaking huge crane bird doing, you know, like this baby in its mouth, you know, and it's totally lost there. Uh, Chevy Nova. The Chevy Nova means it means no go, don't yep, go. Nova, and they go. Why are our sales struggling in South Latin America? And you go, bro. No one's gonna buy a car. Doesn't move, man. <laughs> you need to start re re changing your words for your market. And and maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe you can tell me. Maybe that was when that suddenly became a norm because now I mean I'm Puerto Rican. I remember I would see all these different Mitsubishi's growing up in Puerto Rico, and then be like. That's not a what. That's that's really this back home, and and it because again because it's like culturally you call it different stuff. Correct. 
Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna lever- they're gonna figure out ways to leverage their investment. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, David, let's get into it. What's the biggest risk you've taken in your career? The biggest risk I've taken in my career. Well, the one that comes to mind is I was speaking. I was uh, branding a city, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking to forty of the stakeholders, mm-hmm. and. They're all in this big sort of auditorium, and I'm I'm like, you know what? I'm going to actually educate these guys on branding, and I knew that I, I was walking a fine line because at any it was like a, it was like a landmine. They were all waiting for me to say one thing, and all of a sudden, because when you deal when you I, I don't know if you ever dealt with this kind of thing, but when you're dealing with a brand mm-hmm. for for a city, you usually have vested interests. So in this particular case, the city there was the there was the retail. Uh, contingency. Mm-hmm. There was the hospitality contingency, and their whole thing is heads and beds. That's their that's their motto: heads, heads and, beds. and beds. That's all they want. My, the hospitality, hotels, and all that kind of stuff. Right, and right, right. Then, then you got then you got the then you got the art. The so those that are into the arts, and then you've got the last, which is uh, in, in this particular case, historical. So you mm-hmm. have these four things, and so they were just waiting. And so at one point, I said something. And one of the people said, "Yeah, and how are you going to handle that? How are you going to result that? How are you going to get more heads and beds?" And and I said, and uh, and and I was like, well, and I am very very glad you mentioned that, and that's actually why we're having this conversation, because the thing is, is that we obviously all have goals, and your kind of passion is exactly what this project needs. Thank you very very much. <laughs> <laughs> So standing in front of that room, I knew it was going to be, you know, I could be stoned to death after this meeting, but yeah, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it, it again goes back to having a, a client-facing business where a lot of it is, for some people, you're trying to change minds and realizing <laughs> that's that's not always the case. It's not always going to work. Um, you know, and you either have to, you have to know when to go, all right, I know I'm right. Yeah. It's just a matter of massaging this client along to understanding. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be in this room if they were doing things amazingly well. Uh, but then also realizing that sometimes you just kind of have to like cash out, you know, and, and, and kind of be like, I yeah. can't convince everyone. Well, that's true. But, but, you know, but there's always the great question of like, you know, we really, you could always sit down with a straight face and say, say to a client, you could always say, look, it really comes down to this question. It's a question of, look, am I right or are you wrong? I think we really need to solve that. Mm-hmm. Now you got You got to listen to the words. Am I right or are you wrong? That's all we need to decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's kind of, it's going to be the same end goal. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just kind of steering you in a, in a nicer direction. I mean, and yeah, it's, I can imagine a lot of what you do is, is, is very heavy on the psychological side of things of going, all right, what do brands do? What does good branding do? Well, like you said, a differentiation, right? All that kind of stuff. But in the end, it makes you feel something, right? So does what it make you feel, is it in line with the company's core product and, and, and ethos and all that kind of stuff? So when you're, when you're talking about a lot of that, it is a lot of kind of, you know, very, uh, mind game, mind warfare. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that. and that's you know pretty pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. So speaking of that, right? Speaking of the mind, name your biggest fear creatively. Being able to come up with nothing. Yeah. 
I mean, that would really be it. I mean, be, be, I mean, and, and there was a, there was a really challenging project recently. It was like, have I lost it? I mean, I, it was, I, I kept on, kept on going down. I was like, because oh. you know, I usually know if I run into a block, I'm like, okay, I have to ask a few more questions. There must be something about this that I don't, I don't fully understand enough. And so I'll know that that's my next step. Mm-hmm. And, but this was like, I thought that I had asked everything and everything. And I, and I kept on going and kept on going. So I kept on having to look at, I had to like go, okay, what if I approached it from a totally different trajectory, like from this thing? And, and I would explore this inspiration and this inspiration. And I, and I would just, I had to, I, I, at a certain point, I was like, have I completely lost it? Have I lost my ability to solve this? And so that, that, that what I'd say would be the biggest fear of going, you know, I no longer have the ability to create. That would be right. terrible. That'd be right. horrible. Yeah. I mean, and, and especially with what you do also, I mean, to me, like I, I feel it all the time with like writing, you hit that writer's block, you know, I'll sit there and say, okay, I got to get 1500 words or 1200 words or a thousand words or whatever. And if it's not happening, I, I just, a lot of times I'll just, I'll just know that sitting there being frustrated isn't going to help. I'll just walk away, you know, okay. Whether it's half an hour, an hour, days, right. I'll walk away and say, all right, you know, let's, let's, let's come at this with fresh eyes and or reread something ever, a draft of what I've written and that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the fear, right. You said it, the fear of, whoa, I can't think up stuff anymore. Shit. I thought that did, did, that's terrible. You know, that'll like, be terrible. That'll those, be, that, that's hell right there. Right. That's hell. Yeah. 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 And it's, and I can imagine that, you know, some people we talk to always say that, uh, whatever I'm like, we ask comedian and he's like, yeah, that no one would show up, you know, yep. like you're still doing what you do, but no one is kind of picking up what you're putting down anymore. And yep. that's you know, for sure. You know, especially like you said, especially when you have a company and you employ people and all that kind of stuff, that fear that suddenly, you know, you, you're, you're not only, it's not only you anymore, it's the livelihood of these other people. It's definitely something that's motivating. Yeah. So speaking of that, name your most meaningful moment in your career thus far. Mm. I mean, th- that, that answer is always changing. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I will say, the one I thought of was, was the first one, which was when I designed the New York City Ballet logo. I think uh, have you seen that one on the, mm-hmm. on the site? Mm-hmm. That was that was one of my earliest logos, and that for me was that was um, kind of a real. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that really that really nailed it because the it was prior to that it was a very institutional looking, very Lincoln Center esque, mm-hmm. you know, and and that just I remember sharing that with people, and people always. They always, I love that logo. I love that logo. And I, and I found that it was one that communicated. It did not matter what language you spoke. You could be, you could not speak a word of English and you could look at that and you'd know exactly what it was about. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, that to me was kind of a, it was a nice milestone. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So conversely, name the biggest regret in your career. Um, I would say that a few years into my career, um, being a uh, young, completely naive and idealistic <laughs> Brooklyn kid, <laughs> I I created a publication mm-hmm. called, called Graphic Relief, mm-hmm. and I still have a few of them, a few of, of the 
those here, and they're and they're just amazing. They're oversized; they're about twelve by eighteen inches in, in height. Oh, wow. I personally, I approached a printer, and I approached an illustrator, and I approached a photographer, and and, and a writer, and because, because at the time I didn't really write too as much as I do now, and so, but I and I would be the designer and the creative director, and I cre- came up with these themes, and each one had a theme, and we did a total of four issues, and they came out like every. Three months. My whole notion was like, you know what? Collectively, we could do something much bigger than we can than any of us could do individually. I said, there's no way that you, the printer, are going to be able to afford all this talent. There's no way that I. Da, 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 da. So collectively, and and so I got like-minded people, and they were amazing. Mm. They're amazing. They won. They won awards. They won all kinds of recognition. Oh, wow. And I actually, uh, I don't. Know, is American Showcase still in existence? They they still around? I believe so. I don't know. Okay. Okay. But you, yeah. but you know you know American Showcase. Mm-hmm. So, so I I had. I had approached them mm-hmm. early on um, to do the publication uh, to actually like say, "Hey, why don't we turn this?" I said, "You guys have a really great presence. You're communicating to the audience that we're communicating to. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do something together?" And they actually had an offer on the table, and because of my um, inexperience and and uh, and lack of business understanding to to work out the math and the different stuff. Um, I said, oh, it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough for them to go in and partner with me. And, but they were actually literally willing to put money on the table to actually do this with me. And I was like, no. <laughs> and so I look back, I'm going, you know, was I like, I, what, what was I thinking? I mean, I, I, you know, I was, I was, I was definitely, I was definitely, uh, I had some notion of how what it what it would take, and I really had never worked out the math. So I mean, that was that was a math just a, a matter of sheer stupidity. And right. I haven't. Well, I think you 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 definitely summed up what a lot of people can attest to. And when we find people who are later in their career, uh, two things always come up. One, I wish I started earlier if they found their true calling later, uh, and the other being like you just said in not so many words that I wish I was more patient. When I was younger, because a lot of it is that hunger, right? You talk about the young and hungry and they want to conquer the world in a day and all that kind of shit. And it really comes down to if you had looked at it and said, all right, I'm not looking at the short term gain here. I'm looking at what it could be right in a couple of years and, and nurturing it along and seeing the big picture that you would have had a much different response in now and you, you know, later in your career than you would have back then. So I think that's definitely something and I can attest. I'm I'm still, you know, trying to say, hey, I'm I'm being okay with uh being patient and stuff like that and seeing what's gonna shake out. Cool. So for the deepest one, especially for someone like you, if you couldn't share your work with anyone, we're talking your wife, clients, no one, would you still design stuff? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because uh I, I am I am the I'm the eternal optimist. I'm sure that I would somehow, some way, turn a corner and run into someone somehow. And then, and if I was unarmed without having some great stuff to share, that would have been a lost opportunity. So I'm ever the optimist that there will be that there will be the that, that crack in the door. So you know, so absolutely, just creating. You know, just, creation is a wonderful thing. You know, yeah. and, and you know, to me, it's very very real that. Um, you know, the, the, the richest part of life is those moments that we get to share with one another. You know, I'm never satisfied with, hey, I created something great and now, uh, 
I'm really happy with that, whether anybody sees it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that to me is a load of crap. And I'm also not, and equally on the business side, I'm not interested in creating something that just merely looks great and fails to help my clients achieve their goals. I mean, that's, right. that, that's, that's equally a failure. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, I, I would absolutely, in a, in a, in a delusional state of, uh, of optimism, would carry on. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, David, thank you so much for taking the time out today. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, two more questions left. Obviously, first of all, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Absolutely. They can go to risingabovethenoise.com. That's R I S I N G. That's risingabovethenoise.com where they can. Like I mentioned, I've got a hundred. There's over a hundred and eighty articles, highly visual articles on there. There's probably about like twenty to thirty videos there. Lots of examples, so they they could people could pretty much do a continuing education. They could complete their college education at our site. Nice, awesome, <laughs> awesome. So, last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Oh gosh, let's see here. Um. I would, well, I would, I would think, I would think Mark Cuban, I would think would just be a fun guy to talk to. Mm-hmm. He strikes me as an interesting guy. Oh yeah. Very uh, outspoken. Very <laughs> you know outspoken. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I like, I like the fact that he doesn't pull punches. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, you don't, it, you're never wondering where you stand. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I like that. I like a straight up kind of thing. Uh, you know, Steven Spielberg would of course be amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, Kevin Spacey, I think, is a great interviewee. Yeah, he's 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 been he. Uh, we've had some people have been in his kind of circle, and then they say like he is hysterical. You know, he is and, hyster- and he is hysterical. He has he has a little boy sense of humor. Yeah. I, when I do see him in interview, he'll just say a little something, and he and he's tickled, and he's watched the other person get tickled because he, he knows it is absurd. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And and of course. James Corden. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. James Corden. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, David, thank you so much for taking the time out. Greatly appreciate it. And I can I can personally say uh, this has been a, a interview I was really looking forward to uh, ever since our, our, our phone conversation and, and getting to know each other a bit more. So thank you again. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. You too. 